This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Good morning. We're going to have a fun day today. Isn't anyone ready for the best day of the week right now? Okay, good. I am too. So we're going to have a time where you're going to hear a story where I've almost died. And you're going to hear the closest I've ever been to death and how scary it was. You're going to hear about how much God loves you. And I think in that order. Um, and I promise you'll walk away here with something that you could potentially change your life forever. Cool? Okay. So before I tell you about this day where I almost died, uh, let me just say this. I got to give you some context. It's going to get real serious, but I promise at the end of the day, I'm alive. Okay. So just remember that. Let me spoil the ending. I'm still alive. But um, on a serious note, uh, the school I went to in high school was the home of the uh, Virginia Tech shooter. I don't know if you guys remember. When I was growing up, it was a real big, scary scene in Virginia Tech. In fact, the, ho- the house I lived, the townhouse I lived in, he actually lived in that same neighborhood on that same street. Um, and although that was his first shooting, like this, the school I went to was a school full of like probably around 3,000. Like my class was 750. And so it's a huge school. And something that heinous doesn't happen out of a vacuum. There, there's this culture that I walked into every day that's just, it's pretty, it's pretty toxic what I was going to. And so it's, it's, it's not, um, it wasn't abnormal to get like fire drills when I was in middle school and what are those called? Tornado drills when I was in elementary school. But when I got to high school is when I learned to have my first school shooter drill. And the first day of school in my government class, my teacher said, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're not running. We're not hiding. I want you to grab. He had had everyone stationed. And this was just a drill at the beginning of the year, but it became really real a little bit later in my high school career. And he, he taught us. He was like, listen, you're not hiding. This is not a tornado. You grab any weapon you can and you throw it. I need people to throw things. I need people to hit this person with things. And I need a designated person that when this door opens, is there, can you guys see, is this too far? Okay. If this door opens, I need someone right here to like hit that guy, tackle that guy. And I don't know how it happened, but I was designated as that person. I don't, I can't remember if it was like volunteer or whatever, but, but I think it was a designated brave boy. I don't think I can repeat what he said it actually was, but I'm pretty sure he was like the designated brave boy. So in these roles for when a school shooter comes, I was supposed to be at that door. And I don't think anything of it because, you know, months go by, you're not thinking anything. But then one day, um, I started getting these texts before, um, I went to bed and all my friends were saying, there's a threat. There's like a, there's a, a school shooter threat, which we get those from time to time at this school. And no one was taking them seriously. But this one, like everyone was like, my parents are not letting me go to school. And sure enough, when I showed up at school the next morning, I didn't really sleep because I was so scared. I showed up at school and the whole school full of 3000 was like a ghost town. No one was there because they took this threat so seriously. Oh man, my heart is racing this thing right now. Okay. So in my first class was weightlifting. So that's a pretty easy one, right? Because you got weights. And so the whole time we're like lifting, but the whole time we're watching the door and we have these weights and we're like, if he comes in, we're going to pop, 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 you know, and we're ready. But that's your whole mindset. The whole day is like, if anyone comes in, we have a plan for it. And so I get to my government class and it's time for me to take a test. Still just a handful of people there. Everyone's kind of afraid, but I, I put my head down just to try and like not think about it. Cause I didn't sleep the night before. So I take my test and I fall asleep. Oh my gosh. Thank you for bearing with me. Cause this is kind of like my heart is racing when I share this story. If you've ever been to a gun range, especially a gun range where you're shooting inside, there's nothing mistaking like the sound of a gunshot, indoors especially. And so I'm sitting inside and I'm asleep. And what I wake up is to this pop and I get up terrified and I run to the door and I, and I look at my class. There's not a lot of bunch of, a bunch of people there. 
um, even my teacher had uh, stepped out of the room for a second, but like my, my classroom was full of fear. I mean, I remember like it's tattooed in my brain to see some of my best friends, like their faces were white because they were so scared. And so I start telling everyone, get down, like be quiet. And I'm like shaking out just talking about, but I'm sitting by this door and it opens this way. So when it opens, he, the, I'm the first person and I'm trying to listen to if I can hear like any more gunshots or anything. And I'm crouched down and I'm shaking and my friends are so scared and I'm so scared, but I'm I'm the designated brave boy. So I'm like, everyone shut up. Everyone shut up. Don't say anything. And no, and everyone's quiet just like this. I'm shaking. And you know, in those moments when you feel like you're going to die, every second feels like an hour. So I'm probably up here for like maybe a minute, maybe 90 seconds top. But for me, it's an eternity. I'm sitting there just trembling. And out of nowhere, the silence breaks. Terrifying noise. And it's my friend, Eric. And he says, Nathaniel, what are you doing? And I said, did you not just hear that, that gunshot? And he said, Mr. M just walked out of the room and he accidentally slammed the door while you were sleeping. There's no gunshot. (laughs) And I was like, what? And so in their mind, what they saw was a kid, everyone's dead quiet, everyone's sleeping. Someone walks out the door, the door closes. The door just regularly closes like a normal door. And I, out of nowhere, get up. And I say, shut up. Everyone, shut up. Shut up. Get down. And so I was sitting here scared because we're, I think we're going to die. And they're sitting there scared because they think I'm the shooter. <laughs> I was like, they, the second the teacher leaves, I'm like, shut up, get down. So they're terrified for their lives. I'm, I, I mistook a door <laughs> slamming for a school shooter. So the moral of the story is, while I'm teaching, nobody falls asleep, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But no, don't. Please, please don't do that. No, uh, it's funny because, well, it's not, I mean, it's funny, all right? I guess you can laugh at it. But I wish I could say that was the last time that happened. I wish I could say, because it's so embarrassing. Walking all the way from that door back to your class and all your friends are laughing at you like, what the heck? What were you thinking? <laughs> um, I wish I could say that was the last time, but it wasn't. And I realized one thing I learned that day was sometimes I try and do the right thing out of the wrong place. Um, and let me explain this. To me, I heard a door slam and that was a death sentence. So I thought there was a gunshot, but really what happened was a door just closed. And so I got up and was like, oh no, I'm going to die. We're all going to die. So, I'm gonna, so I'm doing the right thing. If there was a gunshot, the right thing to do is get by the door and fight, right? So I'm doing the right thing, but with the wrong information. So I'm doing the right thing out of this place of being absolutely terrified. And what I, as embarrassing as that was, it wasn't the last time I did that. This goes on in my marriage sometimes. This goes on in my parenting, at work, in friendships, where I try and do the right thing, but because I'm doing it out of a place of fear, I don't see the results I like. Or because I'm in a place that, you know, a door seems like a gunshot to me. It's not. In fact, I convinced everyone in the room it was because I believed a lie and I was so scared and I was so busy doing the right thing. And I'm only sharing that to say this because th- there are things that I feel like we are doing that we are doing the right thing, but we're not seeing the result we want. And it's so frustrating. And I, if you're a parent, if you're, I mean, if you're, even if you're a friend, how many of you guys have ever been in a conversation with a friend and you're right? I'm looking at a couple of you, you're like, yeah, <laughs> you've been right before. But how many of you guys have ever been right and nothing goes like you want it to go? It's like, wait, but I'm right. You're wrong. Why is there, why, why is there no... 
You know, with my wife especially, I'm right. Why don't, why aren't you, why am I getting this reaction? I'm right. It doesn't always work. And it's so frustrating, especially with the things of God, because sometimes we approach this thing where it's like, let me do this the right way. And then we were like, oh, wait, why am I not getting the result I want? Does that make sense? <sighs> Thank you. So if I, so, so, so that's a pretty story of me in high school, but can I bring it more modern day, like more like actually my day to day? So we have this question of why, why, if I did the right thing, why am I not getting the same results? Why am I not seeing the same fruit that I want to see? It happens with me as a husband, with me as a father, with me as at work, with me in friendships. And this one example I want to share was, um, I had just taken over a new position at work. And so with that, it came out of this idea I had because I love God and I love people. And so I was like, here's what I want to do. And then I was trusted to actually do this. And there was a huge difference between when it was just an idea and when I was trusted to actually walk it out. On this side of the idea, it was like, yeah, let's do it. But then when I was actually the one walking out, I was like, I don't know if I'm enough. I don't think I can do this. I don't know if I'm enough to actually walk out what God's asked me to do. And I'll tell you right now, that is a beautiful thing if you trust God, but it's a terrifying thing if you're the source of your life. You see what I'm saying? This is overwhelming and stressful because I can't do it. Or you're like David, it's like, oh, I can't do this at all. It means he's got to do it, you know, depending on how you look at it. You see what I'm saying? The different sources. But so in this, in this circumstance, I'm, I'm tasked with presenting to the staff, rolling out this action plan, this strategy, this vision. And I was preparing out of this place of, I don't think I'm enough. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with preparation. If you get asked to do a presentation, a presentation at work, please be prepared. That's a good thing. I hate meetings and even worse than meetings is meetings where people aren't prepared or whatever. That was the worst. Okay. But like I was doing the right thing by, by preparing, but I was doing it out of the wrong place. If I'm scared, I'm not enough. So just like that door slamming seemed like a gunshot to me, this presentation or this idea was terrifying to me because I believed a lot that I wasn't enough. So I was doing the right thing out of the wrong place the right thing with the wrong information. And therefore, you know what's funny? Is I actually presented it and killed it. And people were like, oh my gosh, Pastor Abel was never the same. I've never recognized him. That was the best presentation. I think people, people were crying, it was best. But inside, my mouth was so dry and I was so scared and I was so stressed. I was dying inside while I was presenting. See, I made it from point A to point B, but inside I was dying. And so many of us, we do the same thing. We're like, we'll actually use stress and fear to accomplish a task and it'll kill us inside. But hey, we did it. <sighs> Does that make sense? So, and, okay, so let me, just, let me just get to the heart of this real quick. Why even talk about this? Why talk about right or wrong? Why, why does that even matter? It's in, it's in a, a very familiar verse and that's this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son Why? That we wouldn't perish, that we wouldn't die, but that we'd have eternal life. So he wants us to have eternal life. Why? Because he so loves us. So in, in this verse, I see, I, I get to feel it even in the room that when I said it, you're like, oh, I know this verse. But let me tell you, when I became a father, this verse changed forever for me. Because at the end of the day, my oldest son, Levi, and, and Coleman for that matter, I know we'll have a great job one day. I know they'll be married. I know they'll have a great education. They'll have, they will get from point A to point B. But if they get a great job and they're dead inside, that breaks my heart. If they have a marriage and they made it to a marriage and they're dead inside, it breaks my heart. If they get a great education, but they go through this process and, it's, and there's no life in it, then that breaks my heart. As a father, we're, I am concerned with, about getting from point A to point B, but I also care about how you get there. 
I want you to have life and life more abundantly. I gave my son so that you would not die, but you would live. So we are so focused on getting from point A to B, so we don't, we don't even think about how we got there. And we can walk through these motions and do all these Christian things and even some not Christian things and be like, why is this happening? Well, I don't have life as my source. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm so glad. Um, okay, so now we know why we're talking about all this. It's beautiful. Um, but my, my next question is, why doesn't it work? Wouldn't it be nice if it worked that if we just did all the right things, everything would just work out perfectly? Like if you were right in a conversation, they would just be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Wouldn't that be beautiful? But why doesn't it work? Why is, why is, it, why is it not that, why did the rich young ruler end like that ended? Why, why, did, why does it happen that even if we do everything right, we're still missing something? It feels like there's something missing. Can I tell you why? It's because we were designed that way. We were built that way. We were built different. I can tell by the look in your eyes, you don't know what that means yet. And that's fine with me. Here's all I need you to know is that you were built for intimate relationship with God and anything outside of that will never fulfill you. We'll just go there. Okay. Here's what I mean by um, we're built different, or this is, this is what we're designed for. One, um, we can go into like how we're actually put together and the foundations of the world. I love that too. But the two, we could talk about how come it matters. Like why does it even matter why we're put together the way we're put together? And if you want to know what happens to us when we don't know how we're built, let me just give you this example here. Has anyone ever lifted a couch with all their lower back and none of their legs? Has anyone ever helped a friend move something heavy? And they're like, don't worry, I'll help you. And you lift something and you go with all your lower back and then you can't walk the next few days. And people are like, what'd you do? And you're like, I'm just getting old. And that's all you can say. Has anyone ever been there or know anyone? Been there? Okay, because I've been there on the couch and my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just old, all right? <laughs> but it's not that you're just old. It's because you don't know how your body's built. See, our body is built so that our legs can carry much more than our lower back. So if you understand how you're built, then you can lift with your legs and be totally fine. But if you lift with your back, you will lift that couch, but it will kill you. So when we don't understand how we're put together, we can go about doing things and use something else as our source and it could actually kill us. Instead of using our legs as our source of strength, we use ourselves or our backs. And then it's like we wake up the next day and yeah, we moved all that stuff, but we can't walk. You see what I'm saying? So that's why it matters. But then let's get into how, um, how we're actually put together, okay? If you guys want to go to John chapter 1, verse 1, it's another famous one. And as you turn there, oh, I'll turn there too. Sorry, I'm like not even open my Bible. Um, okay, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I think I left this sticky here. Is everyone doing okay? Is this making sense? Good, I'm so glad. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, we're in John, what I say? Verse one, chapter one, verse one. Okay, so remember, we're looking at how we're put together. We're trying to find out how to live with our legs here, okay? Because I'm tired of you guys' backs hurting spiritually, uh, mine included, okay? So it says this, in the beginning was the word, the word was, ooh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, let me just pause there. There's a lot of stuff to unpack, but let's just stop at those two words, with God. The words, I've been, he asked me to study this a ton because you see it with Noah and you see it with Moses, you see it with Jesus, you see it all throughout scripture. And so he's been highlighting this with God. And as I studied, I found out this, the words with God suggests a face-to-face -face relationship. 
So in the beginning was the word and the word was face to face with God. And it goes on to explain the word is Jesus. So it's Jesus, the son and the father face to face. This is how the whole story begins. And then he goes on to say this. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So everything in the beginning was the word. The word was face to face with God. This face to face is how it all started. And then he says, every single thing that was made was made through this face to face. So the foundations of the universe that we exist in was all built through this face to face relationship, this living intimate relationship. That means that if we exist right now, it's because he was face to face with his father. And through that intimacy, he created us. And not only that, but in Genesis, it says that we were made in his image. And you read that and you're like, oh man, that's really nice because God's really beautiful and wonderful and strong. But no, look at this image. What is the image? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God face to face. So if I'm made in his image, not only am I made through face to face, but I'm made for face to face. He's designed us like this. This is how we were built. So anything we do outside of face-to-face doesn't just go against the fundamentals of the whole universe. It goes against why he put us together. His blueprint for how he put us, he said, "Mm, I need a blueprint for this. Oh, I know, we'll make him like us, face-to-face. So when we step out of face-to-face, we step out of how we're designing. It doesn't mean we drop dead. It means that we wake up in the morning and our back hurts. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It doesn't mean you, if a stick falls off a tree, it doesn't just cease to exist. It doesn't disappear. It still exists. It just can't bear any fruit. And I went to a school where people walked around and they just existed. I was one of them. I walked through the motions and just existed until I met God. And then I learned to live life with God. And then everything went from being existing to actually I get to bear fruit. I learned to live face to face with him. I think people are hungry for that. Yay. Okay. So we're made in our image. So that's, that's how we're put together. And that's how the universe is put together. Beautiful. So outside of this face to face, if we do anything outside of that, it'll feel off. It'll feel like something's missing because there is something missing. Like moving a couch. It ends up just hurting us. And if you look at like the garden, it makes so much more sense. The story of um, Adam and Eve in, in Genesis where they're like, let me say this. I used to read that story and think they bit into an apple that was poison or sorry, a fruit that was poison. And I thought the knowledge of good and evil killed them, but the knowledge of good and evil didn't kill them. There was two trees in the garden. One was the tree of life and one was the knowledge of good and evil. And I thought, you know, the tree of life is Jesus and he's the way, the truth, the life in him is life. And that's great. But then there's the knowledge and ooh, knowledge is so bad, but knowledge is not what killed him. It was the mindset that I want to do this without you, God. He, they went against their design. They were designed for face-to-face and they said, mm, I want knowledge, but I don't want you. Yeah. That's the mindset that killed them. Yeah. That's when they started to die. <sighs> so rule number, I guess rule number one or point number one about how we're built is we were never meant to do life without God. You were built for this. And by this, I mean face-to-face. You were designed and handcrafted for face-to-face relationship with him. And that's why when you walk through your day without that, it doesn't feel fulfilling. And that's not a, that's not a diss on you. That's an invitation for more intimacy. That's an invitation to lift with your legs. 
You see what I'm saying? To change the source that you're drawing strength from because you are getting from point A to point B, but he says, I want you to have life and life more abundantly. In fact, I gave my only son so you could have life. We, don't, we can't wrap our heads around that. We talk about it all the time, but we can't wrap our heads around what that looks like to take up your only son and say, I want this so bad that even with their free will, they may reject me, but I'll still be willing to give them up for that. Just for the chance that they could live. So rule number one is we're never meant to live without God. We're built for this. Can I let you in on a secret? The best part of the fact that we're built for this is that it was all his idea. Like he, he didn't say, oh man, they really messed up with that fruit thing. No, from the very beginning, he formed everything to so it's set up that we can live face to face. And even when we turned our face away, he said, I'm going to bring my only son so we can still have face to face. This was his idea. Let's go to Ephesians chapter one, verse three, because I feel like when you, when you hear that it's an idea, it's one thing, but, I, but don't just listen to me. Like I want you to hear it in scripture. So this is Ephesians chapter one, verse three through six, and it's going to be in the Passion Translation. And when we read this, I had a bunch of notes that I wanted to share, but God was like, just read the scripture. So keep your hearts open. In fact, wait, can you hold off a second before you put it up there? I'm, I want to read one, uh, a little verse beforehand. On my phone, I don't have a Passion Translation. So, but I have an iPhone and they have an app for this. Okay, so I'm going to read verse two, but you don't have to worry about it. I'm writing this. And remember, this is the best part of this whole design he made for us is this was his idea. Okay, so not only was this the design he made, but this is the desire of his heart. And we'll see it here. Okay, this is Paul. He says, I'm writing this letter to you, all devoted believers who have been made holy by being one with Jesus, the anointed one. May God himself, the heavenly father of our Lord Jesus Christ, reveal grace over you or release grace over you and impart total well-being into your lives. Okay, just for a second, imagine you're not in church right now and that God is sitting here wanting to release his grace over you and impart total well-being into your life. This is not about a teaching. This is about a God who loves you enough to release his grace and release impart his total well-being in your life. Okay, so now we'll pick up in verse three. It says this, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly father, the father of our Lord, Jesus. All because he sees us wrapped into Christ. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished upon us as a love gift. Just as we read this, can we just stop and just examine his motives? Is he responding to something we did wrong? Is he rewarding for something we did right? Like a love gift means he's doing this because he loves us. And I'll pick up in verse four. And he chose us to be his very own, joining us to himself, even before he laid the foundations of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes with unstained innocence. Because of his great love, he ordained us that we may be seen as holy in his eyes with unstained innocence. Why? Because of his great love. Because of his great love, 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 he ordained you and set you apart to call you holy with unstained innocence. 
Holiness is not a reward for something you do right. It's because of his great love that you're holy. Unstained innocence is not a byproduct of you doing everything right. It's because of his great love. Getting holy or getting unstained innocence outside of his love will only result in death. These Pharisees, were all, they, they memorized what to do, right and wrong, and they never had life. They knew everything that was right. In fact, they told Jesus when he was doing the wrong things, like, Jesus, that's not right. It's the wrong day for that. But they never had life. Because we're never meant to do anything apart from him. Oh, sorry, I'm not even done. That's only verse four. We got two more verses. Okay. For it was always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace. For the same love that he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he also has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. This, is, this face-to-face thing we're talking about is so much bigger than just a blueprint. It says this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. It says that before he laid the foundations of the universe, he chose you. This was always his plan. That means, I mean, think about the foundations of your house or just picture a house and the cement that's at the bottom of it holding everything and how important that is. And then under that, before the foundation, am I making this up? Am I making this up? And he chose you to be his very own, verse four, joining us to himself, even before he laid the foundations of the universe. Because of his great love, he ordained you. (sighs) Isn't this good news? Honestly, I have more to say, but we could stop there and just leave just with that. So what is God's motive in this whole thing, in this design, in in, in him building us for the face-to-face? Was it a response to something we did wrong? Was it a reward for something we did right? No, it's because he loves you. And if we rush past how much he loves us, then we rush past the point of it all. This was not only his design, this was his desire. He wanted this. This was his idea. This is bigger than how he built us. This is who he is. He built us for face-to-face because he is a face-to-face God. Yes, we were built for this. We were built for face-to-face. And we were never meant to do life without God because that is who God is. He never did life without his Father. And we'll go there in Scripture for a second, but I just want you to see the bigger point here is that this is how we're designed because this is how God is designed. He, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, face to face with God, and then he made us in his image. So anything outside of that will never fulfill. And I love it in scripture, but you can see it in Jesus' life that when they asked him, they had a huge problem with him healing people on the Sabbath. And when he was confronted with it, he was like, listen, I'm only doing what I see my father do. He lived face to face. Hey, we'll go there. We go to John chapter five, verse 16. And we'll unpack this idea a little bit more. That Jesus' pursuit of his life wasn't about getting it right all the time. It wasn't about 
making the right decision and being perfect all the time. His pursuit was whatever the father does, I will do. Everything I do would be done with him. Then as a result of that connection with his father, perfection was just natural. The right thing came naturally because he, he ne- I never see it one time in scripture. Jesus is like, God, what do we do here? I do see him say, oh, I only do what I see the father doing, which tells me you'll know what to do if you know what your father's doing. The question now becomes not give me an answer to a problem, but I want to be with you. Because <sighs> you can get an answer to a problem without having any intimacy at all. Anyways, we keep going. Sorry, did we go to John chapter five? Okay. <sighs> okay. Let me go there too. I don't hear pages turn. You guys all have iPhones too? Okay. John chapter five, what I said, 16. Okay. So here we're, we're still talking about how Jesus's idea of his life was not, let me get this perfect. Let me get this right. But let me live connected. And out of that place of connection, you saw perfection. Okay, I'll leave that there. I'll come back in a second. We'll read the, we'll read the Bible and we'll come back to that, okay? Um, so this is John chapter five, verse 16. And before we just read it, can I just give you some context? The, the situation at hand is Jesus is about to go on this long rant. And I'm talking about red letter for pages on pages. He's about to go in, in a real beautiful way. But what starts that is a response to what the Pharisees are really upset about. Jesus just heals a man at the pool of Bethesda and that's awesome, but he did it on the wrong day. It's the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees are livid. They're like, hey, that's the wrong day. And it says, for this reason, they're persecuting Jesus and they want to kill him. And so we pick up there in verse 16. It says this, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered and said, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in like manner for the father loves the son and he shows him all things that he himself does. Let me stop there for a second. In response to them saying, hey, you did the wrong thing. They're saying, you did the wrong thing, Jesus. They're looking for right versus wrong, and they're attacking Jesus because of that. And then Jesus says, hey, I'm actually just doing what my father says. And they get even more mad because they're like, how could he say he's equal with God? In reality, is Jesus equal with God? So that's true. But they're doing the wrong thing. So they're doing the right thing with the wrong information. So they're trying to kill Jesus. And Jesus' response is simple. He says, listen, I'm only doing what I see the Father do. And in fact, let me break it down for you like this. I do whatever he does because why? Because he loves me. What, what son wouldn't do, what son wouldn't imitate his father if his father is a good father that loves him? What son doesn't want to be like his dad if his dad is a dad who loves him? But Jesus is saying that point right here. I do whatever my father does. And this verse 20 says, for the father loves the son. It was the love of God that empowered Jesus to live his life with God. So when we are trying to live our life with God and we try and rush past the love of God for us, then it will be impossible for us to actually live life with God. But sometimes we try and do all the right things in order to be like, God, if I do this right, then I can live with you. And God's like, no, if you don't understand how much I love you, then you have no power to actually live with me. I could dance right now because it's such a good thing, but I won't dance, okay, for your sake, okay. Um, 
So when they, so when they try to uh, walk, sorry, so when we try to walk with God without love, without the love of God, it will never work because we were built for this. We were built for this love. And even he, and I wish that was the end of it, but it's not. He even goes on to explain in verse 20, it says, for the, lo- for the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. So if the father is revealing all these things that he's doing, that means that even the revelation of who God is and answers the question and wisdom and illumination of what to do and all stuff is coming from the place that God loves his son. So even when we're looking for revelation, if we're looking for revelation, but you're skipping past how much he loves you and you're not trying to connect with him, I promise you every time that prayer will disappoint you. And I'm speaking from experience. I've run into God's presence. I said, God, I need an answer right now. I need an answer. I need revelation right now. But I'm not willing to come to him. And it's so disappointing because I'm like, why is he not answering me? What does Jesus say? It says, verse 20, for the father loves the son. The father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does, which means that even this revelation is founded on how much he loves you. See, this is the, this, listen, I, I'll promise I'll be done soon. Is everyone okay? Because I'm going to go into some stuff here that may take a little bit, but I'm just, just, I'm just rolling. I'm just sitting face to face with God, okay? So bear with me. This picture changed everything because when I saw Adam and Eve in the garden, I was like, God doesn't want us to have knowledge. In my head, it was like, ooh, knowledge is this bad thing because you had the tree of life, which is Jesus, life and life more abundantly, that's who Jesus, perfect representation of the tree of life. And then you have the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And I thought, ooh, what a bad tree. And God must not want us to have knowledge. God does want you to have knowledge. It says it right here. There's the father and the son. He's like, I'll show you anything. I'll show you everything. Yeah. But it has to be through face to face. Because without me, you'll die. Does that make sense? So here the thing is, God is not anti-knowledge. Does that make sense? That was a revelation for me. Um, and and here, here's the picture that, of what God is anti. If you just flip the page over, we're still a red letter, but in uh, John chapter five, verse 39 and 40, he, uh, don't put it up yet because I'm just going to quote it for a second. Jesus is explaining the heart behind why it's so important that you can't just get knowledge and revelation apart from connecting with him. Without the face-to-face, that knowledge is absolutely useless because it can bear no life. And you see the Pharisees doing this exact same thing. And he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you'll find eternal life. But these are which that testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have eternal life. So he's painting the picture of, listen, like a good father, if you're trying to get from point A to point B, you're looking for the right thing. You're just looking in the wrong place. You want it, but you're going to the wrong place. You think that this, you think the knowledge of good and evil, what's good? I'm good. You're looking for good? I'm right here. But you're not willing to come to me. You're not willing to enjoy the face-to-face. So you can't have life. And let me just go there. In, in the past, I used to think of like, you know, God says in the, in the Old Testament, he says, I set before you life and death. And he says, choose life. And I used to interpret that as, death is this punishment for not choosing life. It's not. And life is not a reward for you choosing life. It's not a reward for you making the right decision. Death is the absence of life. So when he's sitting in front of them saying, I'm here to bring you eternal life, you're looking for it here because you don't want to do it with me. But I'm saying, come do it with me. And you're not willing to come to me. I set before you life and death. 
Choose life. Death is not a punishment for not choosing life. Death is just the absence of life. It's the same if we cut all the lights off in here, there'll be darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. The second we turn the lights off, darkness has no choice. That's why in John 1 verse 4, it says that in him was life and the life was the light of man and the darkness could not overcome it. The darkness could not comprehend it because the second you turn the light on, darkness has to flee. Darkness only has permission where there's no light. Death only has permission where there's no life. So when he sets before us life and death, it's not a punishment or reward thing. It's a pick me because I'm the only source of your life. And you may be able to go through the motions and lift this couch without me, but I promise you, you're, you'll be dead in the morning. Your back will be dead in the morning. So the invitation here, and this is the other thing too. Oh, thank you for being so gracious to me in time. This is the other thing too is I used to read this and think these are naughty Pharisees. And I'd read it and be like, man, these Pharisees, they're so stupid. These guys are so, they've got Jesus right in front of them. They won't even see us. Like, oh my gosh, I would never do that. And I used to bash these guys. But when I was studying this thing, he showed me John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that that, that we would not perish but have everlasting life. That word world was not Christians. He didn't love Christians exclusively. He didn't love people who got their act right. He didn't, he didn't even exclude the people who were trying to kill him. It says he loves the world, all of the, everyone in the world. So when he was talking to a Pharisee, he was talking to him with the love of God in his heart. And he was saying, oh, he wasn't saying, oh, you idiots. He was saying, oh, you're looking for the right thing. You're just looking for the wrong place. He's not saying you're looking for the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you search the scriptures, looking for, you think they'll give you eternal life. Oh, it's not where you'll find it. Come to me, you'll find it. Because he loves them. He knew the heart of all men. He, he said, mm, I know what you want. You're not going to find it there. Come to me. And the same invitation is, is put before us this morning. <sighs> it make you just hungry for life? He says, I set before you life and death. He doesn't say I set before you right and wrong. Sometimes we pick the right thing and then we're dead, still inside. I saw David do the wrong thing and he still had life. Anyways, don't get me wrong, there's still consequences, but I'm telling you with the source of your life, he says, I set before you life and death. And let me just break that open for you real quick. The whole other can of worms is if he is in John 1, 4, it says that in him is life. If he says, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life, if this is who he is, then he's not setting before you an option or a, a decision to make. He's saying, I set before you me. I'm standing face to face with you. Here I am, I'm life. Choose me or not me. But this is not a punishment for not choosing me. This is the absence of me. The same way I could say, do you want lights on here or lights off? And you say lights off and it's dark. You didn't do anything wrong. You just picked lights off. He's saying, I am life. I'm right in front of you. Will you pick me? The face is here. This is why, okay, listen. This is why I was bothered by in, 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 um, in Psalms, it talks about in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand is pleasure forevermore. And then oh, I think it's Jeremiah that talks about who can run from his presence for it fills the heavens and the earth, which means that he's omnipresent. God, his presence is everywhere. And in his presence is fullness of joy. So I ask God, why, if your presence is everywhere, why is your fullness of joy not everywhere? Because although his presence is always there, everywhere, we are not always present with him. 
It takes two to tango. You cannot have face to face if there's only one face. And God is saying, I said before you, me or not me, will you want, do you want to do this with me or without me? And when we choose to do without him, there's no fullness of joy. Some of us have been waking up and going to work without him. And that's not, there's no condemnation. I'm saying there's an invitation to go to work with him. What would it look like to go to your work with him? What would it look like when you get in your car and leave and go in church and you're driving home? He's inviting you. Do you want to drive home with me or without me? Do you want to go to bed? Do you want to eat lunch? Do you want to get your budget and financial plan together with me or without me? Because some of you guys are budgeting out of fear. Some of us are buying things out of fear. We're making moves out of fear. It's not, it's not the same. It may be the right thing, but out of the wrong place, it cannot produce life. <sighs> He's saying, I'm here. Will you do this with me? Imagine your life without that. Okay, this is one last story and I'm absolutely done. I promise you this. Once upon a time, there was my best friend, Rafa, and he and I went to go play paintball. And we were going with the young adults. And I'm gonna tell you one thing about young adults here at this church. Well, some of them left to Florida, but these guys don't play games. Actually, one of them is back there on camera. These guys buy their own gear. And so me and Ralph are showing up like lambs to the slaughter. We are sitting there, no idea what to do. They have their own stuff. They have their own masks. They have their own paintballs. They have their own like knee pads and things. I was like, why did you, why did you invite me to this? I think I even went, anyways, I'm like, this is like more PTSD than anything. I'm like, let me just slow down, okay? All right, slow down, okay. I'm going to paintball with Rafa at a church event. Little did I know, I thought we were strapped, the other people were strapped, and they don't love God either. They don't know God. These are, these are uncircumcised Philistines we're going against. And I'm sitting here getting lit up by these kids, and they're, and we're getting, we're getting, so I'm in the heat of battle, and you know Rafa, he's an army man, a veteran. Thank you so much for your service, Rafa. I love you so much. But I'm not. I don't know anything. Outside, unless I can play on Xbox, I don't know anything about anything. Nothing, okay? And so I look at Rafa, and all of us look at Rafa, and say, Rafa, show us. Like, how, what do we do? Rafa, tell us. You know army stuff. And we look at him, and he looks at us, and we're in the heat of battle, and he says one word. I'm trying to remember what it was. It was so military. I didn't even know. Moving. That's what he said. He's like, moving. And he just went, pop, 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 pop. And, and it took me like 15 minutes to figure out what that meant. <laughs> Poor Rafa thinks that we know, we, he's like, all right, moving. And so what that means is I'm supposed to cover Rafa. And, and all of us, were, but we don't know. So we just watch poor Rafa. We're like, Rafa, save us. And Rafa goes out and he gets baptized. Just ta, 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 ta. He gets baptized. And I'm like, oh no. And then once he, 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 and he's so sweet. He doesn't say anything. He just walks off to the side, takes his helmet off, takes a break. And then I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, I was supposed to go with it. <laughs> I was supposed to cover it. I realized that, but what I, what I realized with God is sometimes we do the same thing with God and we're like, all right, I'm going to do this with you. Let's go, God. All right, I'm moving. And God's like, no, no, I'm staying. <laughs> and so here's just a helpful hint. If you feel like you're being attacked, if you feel overwhelmed or feel like sh- you feel stressed, it may be that you're doing this without God. If you feel uncovered, I promise you, just like Rafa, he was very uncovered <laughs> and he paid the price. I was supposed to cover him, but he went without me because I'm not, he didn't train me right. <laughs> But I'm saying if you're walking through your day-to-day, if you wake up, you go to bed, if you're in a conversation with your family, as you go into Thanksgiving this year and you're around, you can do it with God or without God. And you'll tell very quickly because you'll either be super stressed, super overwhelmed, super tight and everything. And you'll get from point A to point B and you'll make, you'll go through that thing. But inside you'll be dying. You'll feel like you're getting attacked. Yeah, good. Don't be like Rafa. <laughs> 
Don't just tell God what you're doing. Why don't you ask what the Father's doing? What, what should we do? Cool, does that make sense? Thank you, Jesus. All right, so here, that's all I have to say about that. Let me just pray for you and then we'll get out. And, and as you get in your car, just remember, I can't answer that question for you. As you go to bed tonight, as you wake up in the morning, go to work, all this stuff. As you go into Thanksgiving, as you, as you open your word. Listen, I love this word, man. But if you go into this word without God, it'll be just as dry as reading the dictionary. So let me pray for you. Actually, can I say this one thing, one more thing about the word, and I'll leave it at that. God, God showed me this picture of the word, because it says that in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. I used to love that verse. I used to sit in my room and just dream about that verse, because that means that if I get to know this, I get to know God. And it's true. And if you think about this, my life as a father, as a husband, if you recorded it as like a reality TV show, and everything I said to my kids, and everything was written down, you could read through my whole life, and you could find out that I'm actually kind of nice, I'm sometimes messy. You would find out how I break the rules sometimes with them, like their mom would be like, don't do this, and I'm like, yeah, let's do it, even harder. <laughs> like, you would see how I am as a father. It's not perfect, but you'd see a good picture because you know everything I said and everything I did. The one thing you'd be lacking, though, is if you needed to know what I would do next. You could have a good idea, but if you had a specific problem is, I can know what he did with David, but what is he going to do with me? It, what, let me ask this. How do I know what car I should buy? How do I know what should happen? How do I know what person I should marry or whatever? Is, there's no verse I can go to to say, okay, marry, uh, marry Megan. There's no verse in there. It's not to say that this it has no value. This is so valuable to me. It tells me who God is. But if I'm wanting to get to know God, then I can't use this in place of face-to-face. I can use this in the context of face-to-face though. You see what I'm saying? I can take things like this and say, I don't understand why did this person die in the New Testament? And I can bring that face-to-face. Or I can make up my own idea and pretend I know and then be dead inside like the Pharisees and say, Jesus, that was wrong. (sighs) No, okay, that's the last thing I had to say about that. So let me pray for you guys and get out of here. Have fun. Have fun with God, seriously. Um... Okay, Jesus, we love you. I thank you so much for how much you loved us. That even, even this idea of how much we love you comes from the place of you loved us first. So I pray with everything inside of me that by your glorious, marvelous power at work within us, that you would open up our eyes and reveal to us how much you really love us, how wide and how long and how high and how deep your love really is for us. Show us a new dimension of how much you love us and let it empower our walk with us. I thank you for the question you're presenting with all of us, presenting all of us to, presenting to all of us today. Do we want to do it with you or not? And I just ask God for every person that says yes, I thank you that you rock their worlds with the life of God. And anyone who says no, I thank you that you have such a grace. Even in the midst of us turning our back on you, you still pick us. That your face is unconditionally turned towards us. I bless you for it now, for your mercy, for your grace. That we don't want to go anywhere if your presence is not with us, if your face is not with us. And we just stand against any distraction that would take our attention away from your face. Any fear of man, any door slamming that we think is going to kill us. I thank you for the truth being revealed in our hearts. That we no longer get lost in doing the right verse wrong, but we stick our, our stake in that we're here for life and life more abundantly. So I bless you, God. I thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name.
Amen.